All right. Well, we are in questions 98, 99, and 100. There's only 107. So we're on the home stretch. I mean, this is the, the ninth inning. And what we're beginning now is the section on prayer that ends out the whole shorter catechism. Prayer is misunderstood and poorly practiced, but it is the easiest way to make you feel guilty. If we just had, let's just, let's just stand up. How many of you prayed for 15 minutes today? How many, I mean, just this year, it would just, we would all feel like awful. Nobody has ever gotten to the end of their life and said, yeah, I mean, I think I just prayed too much. <laughs> I think I spent too much time in communion with God. So it's cheap to just belittle everybody about prayer. We know that we fall deficient in that. So what we're going to do tonight is look at what it is and how to do and, and mindset shifting things towards it. Because I think so often when we talk about the things that we would call spiritual disciplines, like personal Bible reading, scripture memory, prayer, witnessing, and the like, when we come at them from the perspective of disciplines, that um, I think is unhelpful. I think when we come at them to the position of, with the position of needs, it's far different. If I need Bible because I'm going to die without it, if I need prayer because I understand my weakness, that makes it very different. Because when we, we frame it a lot of times with, in the same context of eating right and getting in shape, but you know what? Every time I do that, I just get to the point where I'm like, eh, I'm okay with how I look. And you know what? I do want to eat that, and, and I'll be all right. But when it's I need this, like if I don't eat, I'm going to die, then now we're at a different level. If, I, if, it's a, if it's that gut level, that's what we're after. So we're not going after this to make ourselves feel guilty. Here's what we can realize, though, is that when it comes to, let's just take prayer and personal Bible reading, my flesh resists prayer far stronger than it does Bible reading because my flesh has nothing to gain from praying. I can't go brag about it because I can't prove it. I can't, I, I can't, I don't have any knowledge. If, if I go read my Bible, my flesh fights against that. But if I go read my Bible, I, I'm now better at arguing. And I can now drop bombs on people. And so I get something. My flesh can feed off of that. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I know all these things. But with prayer, my flesh gets nothing from it. So I'm far more uh, easily persuaded to not engage in it. So we need to acknowledge that in ourselves and work to kill it because uh i got a lot of puritan quotes for us tonight william gurnall he says he is the best student in divinity meaning bible and theology that studies most upon his knees in prayer that that's the heart behind it is i need the truth and i can only get it through prayer godly men and women in church history have been marked by prayer and I got some Puritan quote. I just want to, I have like four I want to rattle off here at the beginning. This is what Thomas Brooks said. Prayer is nothing but the breathing that out before the Lord that was first breathed into us by the Spirit of the Lord. That prayer is just breathing out what he's already given me. John Bunyan, writer of Pilgrim, say often, for prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. Thomas Manton, another Puritan, prayer is not for God's information, but the creature's submission. We pray that we may have his leave. I'm not praying because I'm telling God things he doesn't know. I'm praying to bring myself under his will. 
And then William Perkins, he said, let prayer be the key to open the morning and the bar to shut in the evening. We begin our day and we lock it down like that. I thought that was really, really well said. So question number 98 in the Shorter Catechism says simply this, three words, what is prayer? Now, I love the way it's written because it writes it in the way that a kid would ask it. And then if you just, somebody just asked you, what is prayer? Would you be like, oh. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you, you sit like this. And, well, what is it? Like, tell me what the thing is itself. We need answers for that. That's why catechisms are helpful because the answer is this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. We wouldn't have think to describe it like that. We would think, well, it's, it's talking. But they come at it from it's an offering, an offering of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So it didn't even say the word talking. It just said it's an offering. That's helpful, helpful in a lot of ways. Because our prayer becomes perfunctory. It, it, in, in less mindful churches, why do, why do you pray in church? So the band can get on the stage and nobody knows. And the band can get off the stage and nobody knows. So they can switch the things on the stage and nobody knows. You pray for distraction because everybody can't look. We know that. So it's just kind of this perfunctory thing. It's just a, 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 an interlude or it's, just, it's talking. But this idea of an offering of our desires mixed with our confessions and our gratitude and our acknowledgement of the will of God. That's a whole other way to come at prayer that it's exceedingly more healthy. Here's Thomas Watson, another Puritan. Prayer is a glorious ordinance. It's the soul's trading with heaven. And he doesn't mean trading as in bartering. He means the doing business. This is me going to God. God comes down to us by his spirit and we go up to him by prayer. Prayer is doing business with God. Not the exchanging of goods, but the meeting together, the working together, obviously with his power and not our own. But it says, so let's, it, let's break down what the answer is. The offering of desires is the first thing that it lays out. Psalm 62, eight is the verse they cite for this. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So this is what we would call supplication. This is the asking of things. Pour out your heart before God. We're allowed to do that. I mean, sometimes we think, sometimes prayer is just, we're just asking him for stuff. And then sometimes we think, well, a really holy person would never do that. But that's part of it. In fact, that's in their minds of the divines. That's the first part of it desires to God. And then we see the psalmist say, pour your heart out. What is on your heart? Pour that out before God because he's a refuge, meaning he's a place of safety, of protection, where that can happen, where vulnerabilities are not um, consequential. When I'm vulnerable outside of a refuge, then it can hurt me. But when I'm inside a refuge and being vulnerable, I'm safe. So this is a place to do that with God. But we do that, it says, for things agreeable to his will. Now we cite First uh, John 5, 14 for that. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, meaning God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's the caveat. Thomas Watson, the Puritan says, the true promise 
will not drop its fruit unless shaken by the hand of prayer. The tree of promise, rather, will not drop its fruit unless shaken by the hand of prayer. So what we, we all know the passage, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we know that that does not mean Lamborghinis and weight loss and bank accounts. But then you have to recognize with, well, that is in the Bible. So what does it mean? What does it mean to delight myself in the Lord? Well, if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, I'm delighting myself in what he delights in. What does he delight in? He delights first in himself and second in our obedience to him. And then third, for his plan for the world. So if my delight is God's delight, then I'm thinking according to this uh, section, according to his will, what do I know God's will is? I know God's will is my sanctification, being holy, being more like Christ. I know God's will is the conversion of the lost. I know God's will is his glory. And if I just read the Lord's Prayer, which we're building to, then I'll know what to pray for, that he wants to answer. It's not, we're not confused in these things. If my delight becomes what he delights, what I want most of all is to be like Christ and to see the lost saved and to see people cared for, then that's what I'm delighting in. Then I'm not thinking about the vanities of, these, of, the, of money and cars and looks and things like that. We ask ourselves, does God want this? And how do I know that? And see, that's, the, that, that's actually, maybe you could say the wisdom of the cunning of prosperity preachers is they're showing you where it looks like God says that he wants this for you. So we know, well, we don't, he doesn't want that stuff for me, but how do I know what he wants? I gotta be in the scriptures, which we're, that's we're getting to the next question, to know what he wants and then pray for those things. Align my heart with those things. So we pray according to his will and we pray in the name of Christ. Now, the, the passage cited for that is John 16, 23 to 24, which we preached through a few months ago. Jesus says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, what we don't, what we acknowledge is not the case is that if you just say in Jesus' name, then you get whatever you want. Like that's the secret code, that if you just plug that in, you just say in Jesus' name, that, that, that's the secret and that'll kind of make it click. We're not saying that. But what we are saying is, is that we need a mediator. We need somebody. I can't come to God in my name because I'm not, I'm not okay for that. When we do not pray in Christ's name, here's it's the equivalent, the Old Testament equivalent. It's the equivalent of going into the temple and offering incense or sacrifice without a priest. You can't do that. Kings were put to death for that. You can't go in there without a mediator. You need the priest. Now we have, according to Hebrews, Jesus is our great high priest. So I come before God on his merit, not mine. I need a mediator. I can only come to God through Christ. We are unacceptable in his presence without Christ. We have to have that. So that's what in the name of Christ means. So that means it's a posture of submission that we have. Also with the confession of sins. Psalm 32, five through six. David saying, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I confessed, and we see or elsewhere in this Psalm 32, we don't have time to go look at it now. When I did cover my sin, it was like I was being crushed. It was like I was under a weight of just being crushed. But when I confessed my sin, that all went away. And now I'm acceptable to you. You forgave the iniquity of my sin when I prayed for it. And then here, Daniel, say the same thing in Daniel 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He goes on to confess his sins. Confession should be a daily thing that we do. Now, of course, we, I know we fail at that daily, but it should never be something like, well, today in my prayers, I'm not going to do that. I'm always sin. I want to confess that. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right then. What's happening when we don't confess our sins is there's a... There's a uh, an ever-loudening static between God and me. Not because he's put anything up, but because I'm in sin and I'm cranking up the static. And maybe younger people don't know what static is. When the radio in your car, FM, is not on the right channel, you hear less of the sound that you want and more crackling. I realized when I wrote that, we don't really have static much anymore because everything's podcast and digital and internet. Uh, but static is the right kind of thinking. that that, that when we confess our sins, the dial gets lined up exactly right, and now I'm hearing clearly. Not out of any fault of God, but because of my self-willed distance from him. So confession of sins eliminates those things for us. And then also, we what is prayer? It has to be marked by thankfulness for his mercies. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God or make them known to God with thankfulness. Have you ever noticed that when you j just come and ask and ask and ask that thankfulness gets smaller and smaller and smaller? And you ever notice that in your own kids? They just ask and ask and ask and ask, and then you start pointing out, well, you have this, and you have that, and you have this, and all they're thinking about is what I don't have. That if we don't regularly thank God, now we're falling into the trap of Old Testament Israel, right? What did they forget? <laughs> they forget that God led us out of the greatest world power known before the Roman and Greek empires, and we just walked out. And they handed us money and gold and food as we all walked out. And, and then you're out there and you're immediately complaining because it's too hot, we don't have enough water. Or it seems like we don't have any food. We don't know that yet, but it seems like we don't. And then, I mean, that, but that's right afterwards, but even that's Israel's perpetual problem, even in the promised land. You forgot, you did not give thanks. That's what Romans 121 says, marks an unbeliever, that although they knew that God exists, they did not acknowledge him as God or give thanks. Thanklessness is a mark of unbelief. So we mark our prayers with thankfulness and gratitude. And when we do that and when we emphasize that, then when we get to, our supplications, the things that we ask for, that list gets real small. When you start being thankful for all that God has done, just his mercy to you in so many ways, 
then, then you start just scratching things off. Yeah, I don't need to ask for that. I don't need to ask for that. Look at what I have. Look at what God has done. So that's what is prayer. But then it moves on to how do we then pray? That's what the thing is. We're supposed to do it. So how do we, how do, we do it? Work question 99 says, what rule hath God given for our direction in prayer? The whole word of God, says the answer, is of use to direct us in prayer. But the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. So the whole Bible, but we have a specially condensed guide for prayer. The whole Bible should direct us. 1 John 5, 14 is what's cited as a reference there. We've already seen it. If we ask anything according to his will, how do we know his will? We have 66 books of it. So we go through it. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but if not, let me explain it. Of praying God's word back to him. Have you ever heard of that practice? You go to the book of Psalms, it's the easiest place to start. And you just start reading those verses and, and turning them to where I'm praying them back to God. It's me talking to God. And, and you can rest in so many positive things when you do that because you know, one, God wants this because he wrote it. This is according to his will because he wrote it. And it's the best thing that I could use for myself. And we have 150 of them. The entire range of human experience and human emotion is covered in those 150 Psalms. So we go there and we can pray God's word back to him. And then we look at the great prayers of the Bible, Nehemiah and Nehemiah 1, Daniel and Daniel 1 through 6, and then also Daniel 9. We look at David's prayers when he's going before the, uh, going into war and then going into war again. We look at Abraham's prayers. I mean, we could find all of these godly prayers. Paul, as he prays, is writing epistles out. That should instruct us. That guides us on how to pray because I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times what you do in prayer is you just get in routines. You say the same thing over and over again, and your mind wanders. And the Puritans would talk about how uh, you need to discipline yourself and your eyeballs even to not move around and look at things and get distracted. Because we've all, if I, right, again, if I want to embarrass everybody, how many of us have fallen asleep praying? How many of us have thought we had started praying, and then, and then we're thinking about football or thinking about Instagram or thinking about catching up with my friends? It, it happens all the time. But if, we're ha if we have Bible in front of us, and I'm saying this back, I'm disciplining my mind, then shaping it by Bible to guide it. So we look at that. What did other saints pray for? But then we have the Lord's Prayer. That's, and that's what the rest of the catechism is all about, all the petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Now, that's from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. Pray then like this, says Jesus, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Puritan Richard Sibbs says, by prayer, we learn to pray. By praying, we learn to pray. The Lord's Prayer helps us with that. Now, have you met anybody who knows the Lord's Prayer right on hand and they weren't Catholic? I mean, how is it that the Catholics have totally outpaced all of us in knowing the Lord's Prayer? I mean, of course, it's just kind of ritualistic repetition, but we should know. I remember being playing basketball 
at a Christian school, we played at a Catholic school, and then we would pray at the end of all of our games, and they, they start praying, and then the whole team goes into the Lord's Prayer, and all of us little Protestant, mushy evangelicals look around the circle going, uh, uh, I'll be that name, uh, kingdom come. Just like, we didn't know it. We didn't know it. I mean, we, we should know this, but we kind of have gotten away from in, in just kind of our, I was reminded by, uh, today by our theological minimalism. Ah, you don't need that. People just use that as a, as a lucky rabbit's foot, a talisman, and they do. It doesn't mean it's not Bible. And it doesn't mean that Jesus' disciples said, hey, we don't know how to pray. What should we do? And then Jesus says, do this. Now, what we are going to see as the catechism continues in the next couple of weeks is that it's a framework for us, but it itself is a good prayer and is not wrong to pray. But it gives us this framework to work from. And so it's fallen on hard times. But throughout the history of the church, there were three main, so this is even prior to the 1640s when the catechism was written, the three main structures of teaching in the church, so building truths into Christians, was the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. If you know those three, then now you have the full orb, you have the, the skeleton of Christian teaching. You can hang everything else onto those. And we've lost all of those. Only two of those are Scripture. The Apostles' Creed is not Scripture. But the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, I mean, if, how, how many of us would be in a whole heap of trouble if we said, hey, list out all ten and write down the Lord's Prayer and turn it in right now? Probably a lot of us. Probably most Christians that exist in the United States today. So this, I think it's good for us to go through these, to get categories for us, but also to pray it ourselves. So then lastly, question 100 says, what doth the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The preface of the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father which art in heaven. That's the preface. That's what's called the preface. Our Father which art in heaven teaches us, teacheth us to draw near to God with a holy, with all holy reverence and confidence as children to a father, able and ready to help us, and that we should pray with and for others. Now, when we think about our Father, which art in heaven, is that what we think? I mean, that's, that's densely packed scripture, and they're pulling out all that from those handful of words that we approach God, holy reverence and confidence, but as children to a father. So it cites Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We come to God as a father. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus speaking very bluntly, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus, when his disciples don't know how to pray, we're listening to you. You are our new spiritual authority coming and fulfilling all of these Old Testament prophecies. You tell us how to pray because the rabbis and the Pharisees, and said, they're not doing us any good with that. And the first thing he says is, you address God as your father. What kind of privilege is that? I don't tell every kid in the neighborhood, call me dad. 
I tell my four kids, you call me dad. That, and that's the big emotional reality of, of a marriage happening, right? Those two become one flesh, and now you get to call me dad or mom. That's a big deal to be able to be invited into that. And Jesus said, you get to do that. When you pray, you don't say, dear, distant, sky, God. You don't say, just in all formalities. You say, our Father. Father is what we get to call him. That's an amazing, insane privilege, Jesus giving those disciples that nobody had before that. Nobody had the audacity to call God Father before that. But then what do we do it? We, it says we're, he, he's ready and able to help us. We believe that because any father would be. And that we should pray with and for others. Look at Acts 12, 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when you think that, do you think everybody, you know, got the email blast and they printed it out and put it on the fridge and they're praying at home? Or are they all together praying for Peter? That's, that's what you're supposed to see. They're all together praying for Peter as one. And then 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. So pastoral epistle, how do we function in the church? Says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. First of all, when you get together, I want you to pray together. We have lost the concept of corporate prayer. When I say we, I mean broad evangelicalism. So when we made the big emphasis, however many decades ago, of a personal relationship with Jesus. You gotta have a personal relationship with Jesus. There are aspects of that that are true and there are aspects of that that have damaged us. It's just you and Jesus. Go pray in your prayer closet. Now, I'm not knocking that. You, you should have private prayer. Nehemiah prays privately real quick when he's right before the Lord, absolutely. But we did that at forsaking of corporate prayer of all of us together, do, do we do that? Or, or we're all gonna be praying, even though one person might be doing the talking, as a church, we're all doing this. There are times in the book of Acts where it says the church prayed and it gives us an elaborate prayer like in Acts 14, and you think, well, they can't all be saying all those words in unison. That's too much, but the church was said to have been praying while the leader, the elders, the apostles at the time, were praying out loud, this corporate idea, we pray together. We need to regain this as a church. That's part of why we do prayer requests at the beginning of the evening service. Just as a kind of way to get us engaged, we do this together. This is something that the church does together. Even though we know that we do it alone and at our home, I, I, I'll never forget I, this quote. I heard Mark Dever say one time, he said, pray so much in your services that false believers get bored. And you're like, that's a great way to say it. Because why, who would get bored of speaking to God with your brothers and sisters? If you only met with your physical father once a week, would you be bored listening to your brothers and sisters talk to him? No, I'm listening, what's going on? You're talking to him, what are your concerns? What do you need from him? What are you asking from him? What are you excited about of him? I wanna hear that, I wanna be a part of that. But if I'm just faking this, 
They're like, man, I hate, what are we doing? This prayer is going on and on and on and on. But we're speaking as the people of God to the God who made us his people. Who would hate that? Unbelievers. So we should recover this because the Lord's prayer tells us to do our father. It's not mine. He's our father. Intentionally plural at the beginning. This is how you should pray. Not my father. So y'all take this and then run off to your rooms or go get by a creek or go find your coffee shop. Our father. So we pray with and for one another. That's how it begins. So here's our assignment. You got homework. Rememorize the Lord's Prayer by next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but rememorize. Let's take it back from the Catholics, man. Let's get in there. We're going to know this prayer. We can know it. But then when you think about prayer, because we're going to spend the next few weeks in this topic of prayer, don't, don't look at it like I'm going to bear down and white knuckle and just commit to it and never miss a day. Because if you do that, when you miss a day, you feel terrible and then you quit. Just like every diet, every workout plan. Don't think about it like that. Just consider your weakness. When my neighbor across the street, who is not a believer, we pray for them, we share the gospel with them, I've given them material to read and talk through, but when my neighbor across the street, the house next door caught on fire at like 1045 at night, he didn't get alerted to it by the neighbors until 1.45 in the morning. So it was on fire and nobody ever told him. And the houses are really close. The tree that's in between them was burning. So he runs outside, puts the fire out on the fence and the other neighbor's house keeps burning. And then the, fi the fire marshal comes or whoever inspects the fires and he's talking to him outside and he says, so what caused it? What happened to this fire? He's like, I don't know. As far as I can tell, I think it's just a spontaneous combustion. You know, I mean, you had some hay stacked up there. They had some sticks over there and I think it just caught on fire. And so my neighbor, unbeliever, is freaking out. He's like, well, I got insulation in my attic. Is that going to catch on fire? Or is this bundle of branches going to catch on fire? Is this cut grass, is it going to catch on fire? Like, how safe are we? That was his quote. How safe are we? And that was an avenue for the gospel, of course. But when we consider our weakness, not just our vulnerabilities, but our weakness, I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good wife. I can't be a good employee. I can't be a faithful parent. I can't be any of these things on my own. When I consider my weakness, I run to prayer. I run to pleading with God. Please help me do this. When you consider your weakness, then it doesn't become a discipline. It becomes a desire, a desperation. I have to have you. And then that drives us there. And then when you're there at the throne of grace, then you consider his goodness and his mercy, his glory as to who he is. So let's begin reversing our mindset of discipline, of dieting and getting in shape to just consider your weakness and that'll send you there. Let me pray for us. Father, this topic of prayer we know is, is uh, rife with difficulties or things that we've learned or practices that we've just created all on our own. We know that we can be all, all kinds of twisted around or, or different and, and Lord, if, if you are sovereign, then why even should we pray? Well, we can think all of these kinds of things. But in the midst of unanswered questions and in the midst of just figuring out these things, allow us to consider that we all hang just by a thread. Allow us to know that. But then bring us to knowing you made the thread and you hold it invincibly.
Lord, may we consider these things that you are our Father who is in heaven. You're not here on earth. You're not like us. You're other than us. So you're not my Father that's kind of like me hovering in the sky. You are our Father who is in heaven, a totally different existence. Thank you for letting us know that. Thank you for inviting us before you as a father does children, that we can come, even though we need to come with, with reverence and awe, we come to you as a father who we know wants to hear from his children. May we consider what prayer is. May we be quick to confess our sins, explicitly our sins, all of them. We want nothing to do with them. All they bring is death. May we be quick to list our thanksgivings of all that you have done for us. Lord, the fact that all of us are upright, breathing air and in here right now. The fact that we know you at all. You pulled all of us out of darkness, out of deception. And now we know you. And we never forget any of those things. And we never forget any of your mercies down to the trivial things like cars and gasoline and running water and roof over our heads and furnaces that work in the winter and air conditioners that work in the summer. But may we not leave those off. Those are also mercies. Lord, thank you so much for teaching us in prayer. And as we engage in this series, these next couple of weeks, these evenings, help us to, to come and to think and to ponder and to be instructed by your word as to how to pray. We want to grow in it. We want to be more like your son in it. We want to see the examples in the scriptures. And we want to pray with great confidence like we see in James 5 that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much and you list Elijah as the example we want to pray like Elijah we want to have a running conversation with you all day we want to never think that we live our lives detached or out of your sight in a sinful way but also in a, in a fearful way that you don't care at certain times you certainly do May we redeem the ways that we punctuate our days with prayer around mealtimes, bedtimes, certain other moments. Lord, may we not just blow those off because we haven't used them well, but may we redeem those times and pray fervently in those times. We think of others and may we continue to grow as a church that prays together and is grateful to have brothers and sisters with one Father who is in heaven. And your name is to be hallowed. We look forward to studying more about how to pray from your son. And it's in his name and by his mediation that we close this prayer and this Lord's Day. Amen.